0: MyPatriotSupply.com.
1: Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and this week is a little bit different. I've got uh, Bex from Big Reputations Pod. Carla from Bed, Behead, and Ishelle from Liberty Diner Dish. They are here with me today, sort of. What I did is I did three separate interviews with each of them talking about a book that they love, one of their favorite books. And we talked about why and other things that came up. And I think all three of these conversations are really, really interesting, really good and um, enjoyable. Without further ado, Here's Bex to talk about one of her favorite books. Okay, first up is Bex. Now, I want to let everybody know, I do not know what books my guests that I'm interviewing are selecting. And I did that on purpose because I did not want to be prepared. I wanted to, and I'm also not preparing them. So we're all kind of in this uh, improvisational style here. So... Bex from Big Reputations Pod, welcome. First of
2: all, thank you very much. And yes, it made me a little bit nervous. Like I'm used to you sending the outline that says like, okay, this is what we're going to cover, and I'm like, okay. But when you said you didn't want to know the title, I was like, all right, so we're just going to wing this, and this is going to be fun.
1: I know. I'm like, I'm trying to challenge myself here. So, and I decided, I love it. I respect that. I like it. Thank you. <laughs> So I know, I mean, you also are on another podcast where you actually talk about books a lot. Yes. And I will, and at the end, we're going to definitely promo all the podcasts. So I'm really happy that you're on here because I'm not surprised that you're on here, but I'm really happy that you are because I know how much you love books. So I can't wait to hear what you say for, what is a favorite book of yours, Bex, that you chose with the name of it and the author, and if you want to give a little bit about
2: it. Absolutely. Well, everyone's going to recognize the author, I think, but the title is probably not the most well-known. So I'm going to talk about Welcome to the Monkey House, which is a collection of short stories by Kurt Vonnegut. And I absolutely adore this book. I have either read or listened to it probably six or seven times. You know, I think because it's a collection of short stories, you can't really give a plot synopsis, but When people, when authors create volumes of short stories, there's, they connect them, there's a theme, there's some sort of rationale behind the stories they choose and the order they put them in. And so I think the overall themes of this book are like understanding humanity, whether it's on an individual basis or a societal basis. And it's Vonnegut, so he uses like past, present and future to basically explain human behavior and human nature. Mm -hmm. And just sort of like these unique ways of seeing and existing in the world. I just, it is a product of its time, you know, which is like most of the short stories are from the 1950s and 1960s, and they are written by a white man. So there is that like sort of asterisk next to it. But I think if I take that all into consideration, that underlying message about humanity is still in there. And I really like it. Great, great choice there. Great pick there.
1: Have you read it? A long, long time ago because I read a lot of stuff like that when I was a teenager and Mm -hmm. preteen. I was really into that. And then later on, it became I was really, really more into like beat authors and stuff like that. So, And still, still am as problematic as a lot of those men
2: were. Exactly. No, I mean, (laughs) I feel the same way. Like there's one story in here. I'm like, oh, that's like – that's the kind of story that deserves a trigger warning. But like, I still understand the message he's getting. He's not saying like, this behavior is okay, but it was just like, not even questioned at that time. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's very, yeah, very true with a lot of that stuff that you read um, in in that time. So, you know, and I have to say, like, that was not at all what I was expecting. And and no, I love that. I'm like, and I didn't know what I was expecting, but I did not expect Kurt Vonnegut to be. <laughs> <laughs> pick. So I love that. Uh, and especially the fact that it's not necessarily, you know, it's not really a new book. It's not a new author. And I know most of our audience probably is familiar with Kurt Vonnegut, but I'm sure there might be some people that aren't. And so I like that too. But I, but I know, I know since it is a collection of short stories, of course, it's very hard to summarize. But do you have a favorite short story in there? And why?
2: You know, I had a feeling this would be a question you would ask if I was talking about short stories. And I was trying to pick and and I was I just had a friend here and I was like, oh, maybe this one. Oh, maybe this one. And so it's it's very difficult to narrow it down. But I think the one that always pops into my head when I think of this collection is called Epicac. And it's about a machine. It's basically like AI, but it looks like a machine it doesn't look like a a human or anything and they're trying to train it to solve all these problems and the guy who's in charge of like the night shift of watching this computer starts talking to the computer in like binary about um not binary but it's like a code about Love and like he he loves this other woman that they work with and like she's not giving him the time of day. She's just like, oh, you got to grow up. You've got to whatever. Like she seems like maybe she'd be interested in him if he could just like be romantic and be you know again asterisk on the time period and the writer. (laughs) But basically he he gets the machine to write him a poem for this woman that he loves, and they converse night after night and they talk about it. And eventually the machine falls in love with this woman. (laughs) But the guy's like, well, you're a machine. You can't fall in love. You can't like, that's fate. And so the computer's like, what's fate? And then he tells him and the computer ends up self-destructing overnight because he can't. That's a problem that he can't solve. Like, what is humanity versus machine? And he can never be human and and so that one always sort of sticks out to me, even if I don't know if I put it as my favorite, but it's like my go to. Well, and it's something that would be relatable
1: now, I think, too. Totally. So, <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think that's true of a lot of uh, writers back then. And it was I mean, because I think a lot of people focus on like music back in like the 50s and 60s and like and movies then in the 70s and like the as the counterculture stuff. But a lot of the counterculture stuff was also happening in literature. So I think, you know, and a lot of questioning of humanity and fate and, um, meddling and all that kind of stuff went on as well. So I think that's a great pick for that because that fits (laughs) also with what we're going, what we're struggling with right now too. So, oh, exactly. Right. With the writer's strike and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just, and even, just ai in general and how
2: it's dominating
1: things and
2: right i mean i'm a professor and we do have we have like workshops and seminars on how to deal with students who might use ai and what are what if any are the benefits of using ai and and the the negatives and i'm just like no they're terrible don't ever use it you will fail (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's 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 a
1: scary a scary thing it's scary to Mm -hmm. me but uh, and so I want to know, so when did you first read this book? Were you young or is this more of a recent?
2: Um, I would say it was probably, I was in my 20s uh, when I first read it. And I actually, the first time I had this book was on audio. I, so again, I was in my 20s, dating myself here. I borrowed it from the library. It was on CD, not on cassette, <laughs> but I did borrow it from the library. And I used to have a long commute to work, and I would listen to the book, uh, not in the morning because I'd fall asleep, but in the afternoons, I would listen to the book on my, on my way home. And they have so many different narrators doing the stories. It's not just the same one voice, which I, I really appreciate when you're doing a short story collection. So yeah, I was in my 20s, and I had never read Vonnegut for school. I had attempted to read Slaughterhouse-Five and didn't really care for it. But I was like, I want to give this guy, you know, another chance. Let me see. This is short stories. This is good because I can get to the end of the story and stop it before I get home. Um, and then I realized that he had so many more voices than the voice he had in Slaughterhouse Five with his writing, and and that's what I really appreciated from from this. Like, there's there's like a romantic love story in here, and then there's like all this science fiction stuff. There's historical. There, you know, there's a lot of different times and places. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that that can be the joy of reading um, a collection of stories as opposed to just one story is the fact that you do get so many different kind of adventures you can be taken on and uh, different paths and different characters you get to know. And so then, so since it was in your 20s, maybe there isn't as much of a difference, but do you notice at all the older you get? Is there a difference in the way you appreciate the stories now, as opposed to then?
2: Yeah, I I do think so. I mean, it's been 15 to 20 years, probably, um, since the first time I read it. And, you know, the one thing is picking up on more of the problematic elements that I don't think I would have recognized in my 20s for a myriad of reasons, right? I mean, it was the early 2000s. I mean, I'm rewatching a particular show that spanned... A decade and a half right now and i'm looking at some of the older episodes and going like "Ooh, yikes cringe <laughs> which i wouldn't have done back then <laughs> i won't name
1: <laughs> but you all know i wonder um, if it's the same show i'm rewatching right now
2: <laughs> it is <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> but i'm only i'm only on the third season so it's still very very much like ooh, yikes like using certain words that aren't okay anymore. And the same thing happens in this book is like, there are moments in the story I'm like, ooh, yikes. Okay, but let me contextualize it. And I think that's the other pieces, like looking back and saying, let me think about it in its time and its place. Let me acknowledge the problems that it has, but still recognize the the messages. There's one story that I read and, oh, I have it here. Let me see real quick because it starts out, the year is 2158 AD. And one of the characters is like 170 something. And I'm like, I did the math and I was like, oh, wait, so like me and this guy who's 170 something are like the same age. (laughs) Like we were born around, not exactly, but approximately the same year. And, And so looking at that as a year that is actually not in my lifetime because I don't want to live that long, but like is not that far into our future and, and seeing what could happen to humanity. A lot of them have to do with like overpopulation. I think that's a big theme in this book and looking at the ways we're actually dealing with overpopulation or not versus the attempts that they make in, in this book. Um, there's one, the actual, the title story, welcome to the monkey house. They have a, Ethical birth control pills and ethical suicide. So, like, people live forever. And so, they're trying to control the population by giving them this ethical birth control, which mm-hmm. doesn't stop reproduction because, you know, the religions don't want that, but it does stop the desire. And so, that, and then ethical suicide of like, you can go into these parlors and like decide to end your life when you're like 100 and whatever. But you have to be the one to say, okay, now, yes. And you can change your mind up until the last minute. So it's like, hmm, imagining that in in the real world and like the ways in which that would not work.
1: <laughs> well, I think and I think a lot of books back then were questioning that stuff too. And um ethics and what is ethical and what's not. And um, and so I think that that fits with that too. But I think those are questions that I think in some ways have resurfaced and people still question it all. You know, people still have those. Absolutely. Dilemmas, so. I think
2: that's one of the things I do like about this is sort of as dated as some of these stories are, their themes and their um, concepts are timeless. Yeah.
1: And I'm wondering, this is this is one of the questions that um, will probably make you hate me for this, that I didn't prep you for this. Okay. And if you don't know the answer, it's fine. If you need a second, it's fine. <laughs> I just want to know because I used to underline books in books all the time. Do you have a favorite line from the
2: book? A favorite line? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I know.
2: Okay. I mean – I don't think that's a terrible question. Good, I'm glad that you what? think it's terrible. It's not terrible, but it's difficult. I'll, I will say that. um Let me. I I wrote down like a line, like a a brief sentence about each story in here. So let me see if I can pick one. I uh, maybe from Deer in the Works. Deer in the Works is a great story um, about this guy who owns a newspaper, but his wife has like like they just gave birth to a second set of twins and he's like, maybe I need a stable job. So he goes to like work for this corporation thing, Uh. this factory. And like, he doesn't even make it through the day when he just like walks right off and he's like, no, this isn't for (laughs) me. (laughs) (laughs) I do underline books, but I, interestingly enough, I don't, I haven't underlined in this one. I think because I listen to it a lot. Yeah. I think that that makes a difference. I mean, The ending of this story, I don't know if I would pick it as my favorite, but as one that kind of, it makes me think of my husband a lot and his like need to step away from bartending and pursue his dreams is the end of the deer in the works when he's deciding to just like walk right off the property says, um, the profound silence was broken first by the whistling of a switch engine. And then by the click of a latch, as David stepped into the woods and closed the gate behind him, he didn't look back. And I just mm. love that. Like, you know what? No, fuck it. <laughs> this is not for me. I'm moving forward. I'm not looking back. And so I, I like that one. It's, I don't know if it'll be my all-time favorite, but that's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> no, I like that a lot because you could you could find different meanings in that too,
1: honestly. And that could be true for a lot of things it could there could be a metaphorical latch that you're putting there too there it could be a metaphorical turning your back on something it could be a metaphorical yeah. walking away from something that's not healthy for you or not for you or something like that too so i exactly. like that pick.
2: i like that bit <laughs> uh
1: so since this is kurt vonnegut and it is an older much older decades decades older uh this might be a little bit Difficult for people that are Gen Z, maybe, possibly, even some Gen, even millennials, even people if they're looking at it through just the lens of today. But I do think there's a lot you can learn for, from these authors. So you, and I don't know, this might be easier for you since you are a professor, but imagine you are in an elevator, okay, and you've got 30 seconds before those doors open. And you have to convince me to read this book when I don't think I want to.
2: (laughs) You may think that you don't like Kerr Vonnegut because you had to read him in school. But this is a collection of wonderful short stories. And they're not all like Slaughterhouse-Five. He touches on the past, the present, the future. There's love stories, there's science fiction, there's mystery. You've got a little bit of everything. And if you don't like one of the stories, they're not that long. So you can skip on to the next one and and pick your favorites and hop around. You don't have to even read it in order if you don't want. Dang, I don't know how long that was, open. but <laughs> <laughs> it
1: worked. It worked. It worked. I think it, was just a- I think it was about at that time. I was kind of counting. But um, but yes, that worked. That was that was great. And then <laughs> Um, lastly, I just want to know, is there anything else that you would like to say about what maybe these stories have meant to you or even what the author means to you? Anything like that that you want to add?
2: Yeah, it's funny because I don't. I've read a handful of his other books and they none of them have ever really stuck with me at all. But this one for some reason does. And I think part of it is, you know, I listened to it by myself in the car. I've listened to it with my husband um, in the car. I've read it multiple times. I did a podcast episode back when I hosted Why Do We Read This? where we talked about a couple of the stories in this book. I just, I find that it's like such a, a, a deep treasure trove of, of topics to discuss like if if something comes up i can be like oh that reminds me of this story from here and it just it's a book that if i'm like oh i don't know what i want to read right now and i'm looking at my shelves and i'm looking at my shelves i'm like you know what i know i like this and i'll pull it right off and and read it and you know if i'm traveling it's okay i don't feel like i lost like half the story if i don't pick it up again for a while because they're all short stories and I, I am just a huge short story fan in general, like short story collections are how I decide if I want to read other stuff by an author a lot. And for some reason with this one, it's really, it's really stuck with me all this time. Oh, well, beautiful. Wonderful. Thank you so
1: much, Bex. And hopefully people will go and check this out. So thank you so yes, much. Please do. So if you want to just tell everybody where they can find your amazing you and your amazing podcast, Big Reputations Pod, and then your other podcast as well.
2: (laughs) Sure. Yeah. So Big Reputations Pod uh, is a podcast I host with my friend Kimberly, and we talk about women whose society is judged too harshly. You can find us at Big Rep Pod on Twitter, which I will still call it that. Um, Same. or big reputations pod on Instagram. We just found out. So we do little reps for our Patreon and Patreon just started syncing with Spotify. So if you have postponed subscribing to Patreon because you only want to listen on Spotify, now you can. And then my other, the other podcast that I'll plug for today is Coach Beards Book Club. And that's the one I think you were mentioning before where we read the books that, uh, either appeared or were discussed in the show. Well, in (laughs) a show that you can probably guess if you know the, if you know the character, if you know the character coach beard, you can probably guess what show he's from. And basically we just connect the books that we're reading to uh, that particular show. That one is at Beards book club on both Instagram and Twitter, I believe. Okay.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bex. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Next up to tell me about one book that means the world to her, and we're going to go in depth a little bit more about why the book means so much to her, is Carla. So hello, Carla from Bedwetter Beach. Hello, Erin. Hi. So I have no idea what you're going to say. That's part of the joy for me actually doing this is I don't know what book people are going to say, so when Carla chooses a um, VC Andrews book Flowers in the Attic the-
3: <laughs> This is going to be an interesting Excuse me it would be heaven if it was going to oh, be VC Andrews it's going to be heaven. <laughs> wow. It would be an interesting
1: conversation.
3: <laughs> so that would be an interesting conversation. <laughs>
1: yeah. But in all seriousness, so what is the book that one of those books that just means so much to you? And
3: who is it by, too? The book is The Illustrated Man by Ray Bradbury. It is sci-fi. And yeah, it's 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 a great book. It's fantasy. It's sci-fi. It uh, has a lot of humanity and depth in it. And of course, like all of the trappings of sci-fi, the, the futuristic stuff, the scary stuff. The, oh, I did not expect this to happen in your vision for the future stuff.
1: And when did you first read this book? Because I, I have to say, and not that I not that I like, don't think you would read that, but I'm kind of surprised that it was sci-fi. I do not know why, but I'm kind of surprised. I know you've mentioned this book before. But so what was it, though? Like, when did, sorry, when did you first read
3: this book, though? I first read it in... I guess it was my sophomore year of high school. I, okay. So when I was, and I think I mentioned this um, on the interview, when you interviewed me, I was Aaron's first interview guest, by the way, for anybody who hasn't checked that out, that I was offered honors English when I started high school. And I said, no, because I didn't think that I could cut it, which of course, at this point is, you know, ridiculous. But back then I was like, I don't know. and. Then in sophomore year, one of my friends was reading The Illustrated Man. She had it on her desk. And I was like, Oh, that looks pretty cool. You know, what's it about? And she's like, Well, you know, we're almost done with it. When I finish with it, I'll I'll give it to you and you can read it. And I was like, Okay, cool. So I read it, I loved it. I would I desperately wanted to talk about it, but I had nobody to talk about it with because I had not taken honors English. So I was just kinda, you know, stuck. Reading and digesting it by myself. She didn't like it that much. So it seemed like I could sit down and talk to her and be like, okay, Tara, tell me everything that you thought about the Illustrated Man. She was like, um, not enough romance. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I used to, to read a lot of sci-fi when I was younger. And I, I do now, not just, just not as, as much because I think I kind of ate up all of the sci-fi that I wanted to read back then. But, Yeah, so the short answer sophomore year of high school. (laughs) (laughs) To get to the point of your question.
1: Well, and you were saying that you wish you had had someone to talk to about that book. So looking back at sophomore in high school, Carla, what is there one thing? I'm sure there are a bunch, but is there one really burning thing in the book or a theme of the book that you
3: really wish you could have discussed with somebody? Yes. I I would love to talk to people, you know, like the, the me back then would have desperately wanted to talk to people about the the loneliness because there's so much loneliness throughout the book. The illustrated man himself is seems like such a lonely creature. Um the book is it's a collection of short stories, basically. And the way that embedded goes is that these are all based on tattoos on this illustrator man like the illustrator man is illustrated because he's covered in tattoos and this person's watching the tattoos and becomes entranced by each entranced by each one and each one unfolds into a story um and there are so many themes of of loneliness and you know being in the future and even though you're surrounded by by loved ones something happens and suddenly you're not or there's like a disconnect between um between the the person who is like, central to the story and their surroundings. So I would have loved to explore that with somebody and, you know, because maybe it was just because I felt like a lonely teenager and I was projecting this into the stories, but that's how it it felt to me. It felt like, like really desolate.
1: That but- desolate desolate feeling and and with it being different stories do you have like a favorite story or a favorite tattoo i like
3: uh, referring it to
1: referring to it as that instead but
3: i do and you know what like give me a second because i don't remember the name of it okay i don't remember the name of the short story okay but the plot is basically that um You know, there's a a kid and there's a family and the dad goes off into missions into space and, you know, it's very scary and – because you never know, you know, even with with planes, it's always scary. Like, in in my family, whenever one of us has has a flight – We're messaging each other, like, have a good flight. Let us know when you get in. And then, you know, like, if it's my mom who's not traveling, then she's constantly checking the updates of the flight status and everything. Like, okay, I see that you've landed. Where are you? And it's like, I, like, we just, we just touched (laughs) down. Like, give me a second to get signal, you know? So, like, that anxiety over a loved one being somewhere out in space is very relatable. And then... And okay, like spoilers for like a, you know, 70 something year old book, but the, uh, the mom always says that, you know, whatever star the dad crashes into, like they'll never look at it again because she just can't bear to think about it. And the dad happens to crash into the sun. So it's, it's so heartbreaking because it's, it's, it's not just any star. Obviously it's something that kind of, um, Guides a lot of your day, your waking cycle, all of that, um, that profound loss and that absolute despair that it's not even like a, like a star that you can kind of ignore because it's among a crowd of stars. It's like the biggest thing that you can look at. So yeah, that, that one was my absolute favorite, even though it's like the most desperately sad one. It's the one that I always think about the most when I think about the book.
1: Especially with that image of just the fact that you can't look at the sun ever again. And even though you don't want to look directly at the sun because you'll get splatting in your eyes, it's still, you know, there's still that thing of like, you don't want to look at the the light. Almost like you can't look at light anymore.
3: Right. And I think it's also like a really great exploration of grief. Yeah. Because, you know, like you cut yourself off from the light of, you know, from a source of something that brought you life you know like because as humans we can't live without i I don't know without the vitamin d first of all but then you know you think about the the plants that we eat and how they're reliant on the sun for their ability to exist and to give those those nutrients and animals and how they need you know so like it it just it's such a huge thing to cut off from your life for something so big and there are people who you know like they won't celebrate a um Particular holiday because a loved one either loved that holiday or because they died of that holiday, or the, the, so like there are so many things like that that are so real and accessible. So it makes it yes, it's a story that's sci-fi and it takes place in space and there's you know all of these fantastical elements to it, but at the same time it's just a very human story about coping with with grief, and we're seeing this through the eyes of the child. So. You know, you're left wondering. You know, does the child continue this through their adulthood when they're no longer, you know, beholden to their mother's um needs or desires or whatever? And how do they, as a family, move on from that? Do they move on from that? It, it's it's a beautifully written story, but it's like so heartbreaking because you know angst.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it sounds that way, and I, you know that's the way I feel. Like I would never want to get. Married on a holiday, never want to get engaged mm-hmm. or any big event like that because you know unless it's something you can't prevent. Like if you give birth to a child and it happens to be on a holiday, you can't prevent that. But just because right. if anything happens, you're always going to be thinking about that on that. So yeah, because that I mean, grief of lots of things can can take shape there. Yeah. How many times have you read this book? Would you suppose?
3: Oh my. Gosh, okay. So (laughs) when I first read it, I think I read it like three times in a row. And then I would make a point of reading it like once a month. It it was um, this book and The Outsiders on Constant Rotation. But you know, eventually, life gets in the way. You decide, oh, hey, they make other books too. And you want (laughs) to read those. And then you have a child and then you're reading a lot of like, you know, board books and And stories and stuff like that. So it kind of goes by the wayside. So I haven't read this in a while, but I used to read it just constantly, constantly.
1: Yeah, I was wondering.
3: I was like, she probably won't be able to answer that, but I just want to (laughs) know. I'm very old and I can't remember, Erin. But it used to be, the answer used to be a lot. (laughs) So now reading it, you read it first as a teenager.
1: And then Mm -hmm. when you read it again as an adult, was there anything that stuck out to you that you grasped or viewed in a different way than teenage Carla did?
3: Yeah, I, I think as a teen, for for one thing, you know, I I kind of read the book, yes, out of interest in the subject and in the cover. That was just a gorgeous cover for the book, but also a bit out of spite against myself. For having passed off the opportunity to be in a class where they talked about books like these. And so, like, that kind of colors the way that you read things because you're, you, I, I was reading it kind of like, um, proving to myself that I'm as good as they thought that I was and that I didn't see myself that way. And then reading it as, as an adult without those things, you know, getting in the way, um, just purely the enjoyment of of a world that somebody creates and the uh, Ray Bradbury's writing has always been one of my favorite styles of writing so I think when I was older I, I became more caught up in his style and in the, the way that that he uses words as a bit of a lullaby like if you especially if you read the book um something wicked this way comes another fantastic Ray Bradbury novel it has a very melodic feel to it as you're reading it. It, it. it feels like, like it's something that's sung in a way. And there's a lot of that in his other books as well. Um, so I, I think it, it became more of a, ma- a matter of like the mechanics behind it and what went into it, you know, wondering, you know, like, Oh wow. How did he come up with this stuff? Because yes, all writing involves creativity and it involves imagination but there's something about science fiction that can be so fantastical and um impressive in the sense that they're taking just human elements and then layering that into a world that they're creating outside of what we know. And that, I think, takes just an imagination that's like, I think profoundly majestic. I, I don't know like another word to say it. Like there's something just so, so majestic about um, sci-fi writing because it's so grounded in things that humans want to achieve and maybe can achieve, but then they go beyond what we know and extrapolate further. So like, I, I just, I really, I just really like that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I like
1: that. Yeah, because I mean, I think that is true. There's something um, there's a lot more that goes on when you're writing a sci-fi or a fantasy or um, horror or something where you do have real elements. But you're going to be adding stuff that might not be in a typical like drama or comedy or something. So there is a lot more to it, a lot more layers, I think, to it and a lot more work involved. And so if you can do it and make it so it is not only enjoyable to read but you learn and you gain something from it that's that's quite a quite a skill there for sure
3: yeah absolutely
1: yeah. uh well wondering this is this is you're going to hate me for this question and you might not be able to answer this question
3: are you going to ask me like what one page i would take with me if i was like, uh, stuck in a raft <laughs> by myself for the rest it's of my life
1: close. <laughs> Gonna hate me for this, and if you don't have an answer, we'll just scratch this question. Is there a line or any or or a phrase or anything from this book that you can remember that sticks out to you? I know, I know, you're gonna hate me for that. I, I... oh my god, you are like
3: so mean sometimes, and I have to wonder, like, why, 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 would, why would she do this to me? I know. Well, I used to underline um words and phrases
1: in books when i used to read them so that's probably why i decided
3: (laughs) well you know what's funny is that i would absolutely just you know because i have the book here with me so i'm like thumbing it i'm like which one which one but unfortunately this is okay so my sister did take honors english so i gave her my book so she highlighted a bunch of stuff (laughs) so i'm like which ones are my highlights and which ones are
1: her highlights So listeners, just to let you know, I was able to see the cover of this book. I'm just waiting for it because I just asked Carla a question. So while we're pausing here for a minute and the cover of the book is gorgeous, we'll have to, maybe it'll be on the cover art since Carla's responsible for it. So there you go.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm going to go with the first line from the story called The City. The city waited 20,000 years. Tell me that doesn't immediately like spark curiosity. Like waited for what? Waited how long? Why? What happened before? Who is the city?
1: Is it a person?
3: Is it a collective?
1: Is it a group of people? Yes, you're right. It does. It sparks the imagination for sure.
3: Yes. Just from that one line, you know, if you're talking about like if you just had to if you were in writing class and, and they're like, "Okay, write one line that would be the introduction to your story and you write that one line, then everybody in class stops and it's like, "Um, excuse me, we only want to hear about this story,
1: yes, yes, no, I, no, that, no, I agree that's no, that was a good line, and speaking of that, another one that you're gonna hate me for this question too, oh God, okay, so say somebody is like." Um, I don't know if I really want to read this book. What pitch it to them like, an you know an elevator pitch. So do an elevator pitch. You've got one minute. Go <laughs> or less than that. Actually, you've got okay. less than that.
3: <laughs> 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 like what elevator are you taking? From like what floor to what floor are they going? How many steps are we making? Because Aaron, a minute is a long time. Okay, I'm gonna start by saying, listen. There are so many books out there. I know. You have your your choice of millions of them. This book has endured for a reason. And it's a book that is enjoyed by young people, by older people, by everybody. It's not just a science fiction book. If science fiction is not your thing, I get it. It's not everybody's thing. But within science fiction, there is a lot of humanity. And if you care... If you're interested in stories about how humans work with each other within themselves, this is a book for you. This book, and not only that, it has short stories. So if you don't like a particular one, you can skip to the next one. You know, like there's, it's not a real commitment. You know, skip around if you feel like it. If you don't like this one story, the next one might be better for you. Ding, we've arrived at
1: our floor. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you, Carla, for putting up with me and my <laughs> barrage of questions where I'm like, I'm just going to challenge you more and more and more.
3: I appreciate it. The barrage it. is fine. The cruelty, man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd rather be, I'm, I'm a masochist and a sadist. I'm a sadist and I just decide <laughs> to just inflict all of my sadism on my analyst. <laughs> consensually they can they could I should give all my panelists a safe word and if
3: I was gonna say like can I safe word out
1: (laughs) or I can say are you green are you yellow are you red um
3: (laughs) so Carla are you green are you yellow are you red right now I'm feeling a little bit in the like what's a combination of of green and yellow like what's the in between there
1: (laughs) man I'm sorry that I put you there um (laughs) No, but thank you. Thank you so much, Carla. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
3: you for asking questions about one of the best books on the planet.
1: Of course. And someday maybe we'll go into it deeper
3: than the
1: minutes we've allowed.
3: <laughs> what that mean? Maybe one day you'll read it and be like, oh, hey, Carla, you were absolutely right. And we should talk about this at length.
1: Yes. Yes. Yes, I will. Oh, and before I let you go, Carla, since we're doing this episode different and I won't have a chance again, let everybody know where they can
3: find you and Bedwetter Behead. Thank you for asking, Aaron. You can find Bedwetter Behead Podcast wherever you get your fine and beautiful podcasts. Uh, it's not about sci fi generally, but we do have sci fi stuff in there sometimes. And you can find that, uh, you can find our online presence on Twitter at <laughs> Bedwet on Instagram at bedwetbehead.pod. On, uh, TikTok at BedWetBeheadPod. You can also look for our website, which is probably bedwetbeheadpod.com. But don't trust me on that. Go to our social media. It'll actually have it on there. You can find me and my art and my musings on, um, what's the, the oh yeah, on Instagram at Carla or you can look for my, uh, my one, TikTok, at Carla Temis, or my website, carlatemis.com. That's C-A-R-L-A-T-E-M-I-S dot com.
1: Bob for Carla's website. Uh,
3: <laughs> Twitter. So. <laughs> I refuse. Look, I'm compromising here. I'm meeting that awful man in the middle.
1: I'm like, I don't even compromise. I'm just like, it's Twitter. I'm not calling it. That. <laughs> uh, but thank you. Thank you. And lastly, the lovely Ishelle from Liberty Diner Dish is with me. And like I've been doing with all of them, I have no idea what book Ishelle has chosen because I want to be as surprised as she is. I mean, I'm sure she's not surprised by the book she chose, but as surprised as she is by the questions that I will be giving her. So so that's what I mean. So Echelle from Liberty Diner Dish, welcome, first of all. Yeah, happy to be here. So tell me, what book did you choose? Like name the book and who the author is and give us just a little brief synopsis.
4: Okay, so I am going to first say this is not my favorite book. My favorite book is East of Eden by John Steinbeck. But the book that has been the most impactful to me in the last few years is without it's called um without you by Marley Valentine and um uh, it is a romance which that's going to be a journey we'll talk about <laughs> cuz uh romance is really not my thing usually so that might bring up some interesting conversation later but um <laughs> it is a romance it features a queer couple and um it is so there has been um a tragedy in one guy's family and so it's kind of like a best brother's ex boy well no because they were still together the brother passed away and then like here's his boyfriend and so then the the surviving brother and this guy kind of (laughs) in love but that's a terrible synopsis of this i should have just like pulled (laughs) up the summary it's it's better than that but that's essentially what's going on here so there are heavy emotions and there is a bi awakening for one character one is always has known he's gay forever and the other one discovers that he's bi so that is a terrible summary of a great book (laughs) no that was funny
1: (laughs) I have never heard of this book, never heard of this author. So mm-hmm. this is a brand new, like this is the first one since you're the last one in here that I ha- haven't, that I haven't heard of. Like the okay, other good. two, what Carla mentioned and what Bex mentioned, I knew those ones, but this, or at least the authors and knew a little bit of that. And you are also the only one that did not pick an anthology book because ah. both Bex and Carla picked books that have Different stories that are an anthology of short stories. So uh-huh. very interesting. I was, was curious. I was like, I wonder if she's going to pick one that has anthologies. And, and sometime I want to talk to you about East of Eden, too, at, at some point. Yeah. But, but um, so you kept saying, I'm not a romance person. I'm not a romance person. This is so weird. I don't like romance. Stuff. <laughs> Well, I would, you know, garner say the certain show that you do a podcast about the uh, so uh,
4: this but. is all tied together. Yeah. <laughs> it
1: is. So so is that so then why were you drawn to it then?
4: Okay. This is uh I was wondering like how I was gonna stretch out my part, but here's gonna be the bulk of it right here. So a certain show that if you listen to Liberty Diner Dish, you know what show we're talking about. And um that show has a couple in it, well, it has several couples in it, but there is one couple that stands out for most, if not all, and that couple just like owns my whole life, you know? And so when the so in doing the podcast, I was on this trip to Colorado and wanted to connect with some of our listeners. And so we did this like Zoom call with some of our listeners, and it was kind of just like roundtable discussion sort of thing. And one of the listeners who turned uh into like a real life friend, uh, her name is Lori. She um was messaging me on the side, and she was like. You know, after, you know, I just finished that show and, um, I have been like trying to chase that feeling, like find some couple to fall in love with like that again. And so she told me about how she started reading, uh, queer romance books. And, um, so she's like, well, I'll also do them on Audible. i listen to them. And I was like, well, I don't really know about listening to books. I, was, I mean, at that point, I did have, I owned one book on like CD. For those of you who don't know what a CD is, it's like a round. <laughs> 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 you used to be able to oh put them in God. cars, but you can't anymore. And so I had a Stephen Colbert book on a CD. And it was like five CDs for this one book. But anyway, uh, and so I was like, I don't really know the experience of like listening to a book just like walking around the house doing chores. But we'll, you know, we'll check it out. And so she gave me a list of like three different things to start with. And uh, one of them was recently turned into a movie. Um, but we won't talk about that. (laughs) But the other, the one she told me to start with was this one, Without You by Marley Valentine. And, um, so I kind of dove into it, not expecting to like it. Because, like, growing up, I grew up in a very, uh, super conservative, super backwoods, um, you know, super religious area in the Deep South. And, um, I was always taught that, like, romance and attraction and relationships looked a certain way, a specific way. And none of that ever felt right to me or true to me individually. Like I was okay with that for other people, but none of that really meant anything to me. And so I think that's why I had this like weird thing about romance because I was like, I don't want some guy to come rescue me. Like I'm a damsel in distress. And (laughs) I don't feel like I have to be married by the time I'm 19. (laughs) It's like, I don't want children. And like, I don't know. So just like, that was the, that When you're from a small town in like the deep south like that, like that's kind of what the ideal is. Like by the time you've graduated high school, you need to kind of know who you're marrying. Definitely by the time you've graduated college. And so I just, I just don't want anything to do with any kind of romance. Uh, so that's why I, why I say that. But um, anyway, so I listened to this book and the narration is great. Um, the, it's a dual narration. So it's a dual POV story. So each guy ha- has his own chapters, and then they each have their own narrator. Um, the narration is great. The story itself is great. And yeah, that's kind of how I got to this little romance category. And then I just kind of got lost in queer romance. And then when I was like, Oh, not everybody does relationships in the same way. Not everybody does attraction in the same way, or you know, just all of this stuff. And I was like, Oh, okay, I I can get down with this, <laughs> you know, and then, eventually stumbled across the book and I was like, Ooh, I think I identify with this character right here. And this kind of makes sense for me and, and how all of this whole romance relationship thing works for me. And so, um, yeah, but it started with that, with that book without you. Wow. I loved that because it's, because there's, that was
1: such a, a a journey seriously. so, So thank you for sharing all that because that's very interesting because I do think I mean, that makes sense. If you have grown up with uh, being told a version of what love stories are and what romance is, and then that doesn't connect to you, then I understand that. You'd be like, well, why would I even want to bother with that when all of those stories that I've been told, all of that stuff that I've been brought up with isn't what I resonate with or believe in. And so so then to find something where it does work Must have been like, did that then make you go, hmm, I wonder if I should try and give other? I mean, you said that you have been, but so is that, that's sort of what did it then? Is that, did that also make you think maybe I should go back and look at stuff that I didn't want to look at? And maybe I'd be looking at it from a different lens, if that makes sense?
4: You know, I still don't read uh, like traditional romance. Like, I, I did try to do, uh, and i like, okay, there's like erotica and there's like just like romance. It even has a little bit of spice in it. I don't read, I don't do a whole lot of erotica. I can't do like just chapters and chapters of smut. I just like, I can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I want a little bit of plot thrown in there, you know? Um, but anyway, I did go, that's just a little aside there. But anyway, I did go back and try to read um, a just traditional male female romance story. And I couldn't do that because I felt like it was pushing me back into that old way of thinking where you're trying to like self insert in the story where you feel like you have to be the woman in that story. And a lot of times, the mo- more popular characters, you know, you have to, you feel like you have to look like that person, you have to act like that person, dress like that person, have the lifestyle of that person like none of that rings true for me. And so it still, I still can't really do traditional romance books, but I feel at home in queer romance books. And so whether that be, um, uh, what they call like Achillean, so two characters who identify as men, what so that could be a trans man or cisgendered men. Um, I read sapphic romance, so that's people who identify as female or women, um, or anything in between, you know, books with um a sexual representation, books with yeah, just anything kinda under the the LGBTQIA plus spectrum. Like I can read those, but I don't really read any just traditional romance. If that, that was a long way to answer your question. No, no,
1: I like I I like that. That's interesting. And I wonder, you know, because I do think there is something about, you know, um, cuz I read a lot of for fanfic, I'll read some a lot of like some slash, that's what they call it in there, the, you know, male male. And um I read a lot of that and liked that a lot and of course, you know, being drawn to the show that we aren't naming but I'm sure you can guess what that show is. <laughs> and and the c- characters on there that go by the names of I'm fine saying the names, but by Brian and Justin and being drawn to that. And even though I've been drawn to, you know, typical, quote, unquote, typical ones that you would see, like, you know, heteronormative, basically, relationships. But there is something about that. And I don't know if it's that some women, I think, are feel comfortable with. And I don't know if you find, and I don't know if it's that way with this novel, that it's almost like, like reading something where for the first time it doesn't feel, it feels more like an equal relationship. Does that make sense? Is that kind of how you see it?
4: Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I want to put this out there. I'll, anytime you're reading something that deals with a marginalized community, you always want to be careful of like fetishizing that.
3: That's a very, very so, good point. Yeah.
0: Very so point. I want
4: to put that out mm-hmm. there. And, but for me, it was this thing where, because, With the MM, you know, or Achillean or whatever, a lot of that, those readers are cisgendered straight women, you know, for the most part, a lot of them are. And so they've all got their reasons why they, why they read it. But I think for me personally, it really was that thing of, I don't have to insert myself into this story. And so that's why I started with more Achillean romance instead of like sapphic or pansexual or whatever, um, or bi romances, but, um. Yeah, and it it felt like I can just kind of read this and show up to this and, yeah, take these two people in as equals. Um, And not because, like, a woman can be equal to a man, but you know what I'm saying. Like You don't have to take on these heteronormative uh, stereotypes of what gender should do or should be. And especially when it's done by a good writer. And that's what Marley Valentine does. Like, she's really good at writing this. A lot of people who write it, well, not a lot. Because there, I don't read a lot of the ones who do it poorly, but there are ones who do it poorly. And really, the one of the men is really just a woman, but they just call him. They just use male pronouns for him because of the way they write it. They don't. They don't really see it in the way those relationships can be. You know, so really, it's just like you could really just make her make his name Sally, and it works the same way. You know, they don't really. Write them properly. <laughs> I, can't, I hope you. I think you know what I'm trying to say, even though I can't find the words for it, y'all. But bl- I just took a nap, y'all. So blame it on, <laughs> on that. Now I've lost what the what the question was. Sorry, something just flew by me.
1: Oh no, no. I think you you answer. I mean, I was just saying it's a lot easier because it's equal footing, and you don't feel yes. like one. Uh, the like the power dynamics also sometimes can be equal, but but I know exactly what you're saying with the other thing with like uh, it's almost like. Some some cisgendered women, straight women, do write this stuff very as very much a fetish. And mm-hmm, they also mm-hmm. write it as they want to be within that story. So yes. you can tell that. yeah,
4: Yes, that's exactly it, Erin. Thank you so much. This is why you are the host. <laughs> because it's exactly that. They really are just writing their fantasy. Like, I want two boyfriends and here's how I want them to be but I'm the center of this story. And then there are some authors who do not write it that way. They straight up write it as like, I'm observing this couple here, you know? And that's what she did in in this book. And I'm glad that I started with this one because the story has a lot of heart to it. You know, one of the characters has kind of always felt like the black sheep of his family. And the other one has um, really just kind of felt like he really had no place. But he, I think his parents, passed away but it's off page but I think that happened and then he was with another relative and then that person passed away. so he just kind of like was bouncing around and so anyway it's these two men and they are feeling these things toward each other but they're not being led by like hormones and you know that sort of Even even though there's a physical attraction there there is very much this connection that neither of them can describe and they're like this doesn't really make sense because we've never had we were never even friends even though We've known each other our whole lives for the most part. And so, so this is a very sweet story. And getting to see them have, have some agency and getting to see them each grow individually. Like, yes, we have this thing going on over here. But as individuals, we have work and growth that we need to do. And so um I really appreciate just the way that she wrote it uh, to where it's not just about this. I want to fantasize about these two hot men getting it on, you know. I mean, if that's what you want to read, whatever. <laughs> but I feel like there's a way to sh- to show more um, respect and consideration um, for for queer people when you're writing.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. it, that respect, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Because you know, it's. I mean, it's not the same thing, but it can be the same when you read a lot of fanfic. And, um, there's one very popular, the most, I mean, the most fanfic you will ever find for a particular ship from a particular show. You, you know, the, the characters names, one begins with D, but one begins with C. And that's the most popular thing you will find on archive of our own. And I don't ship that couple on the show, but I will read a lot of that, that fic. And some of it is just, downright like it's almost feels um it feels almost disrespectful to these Mm -hmm. fictional characters which Uh is so uh weird because they're fictional characters right but it feels disrespectful because it feels like this very like and i'm not saying that i have never ever been like like turned on by reading this kind of because yes i'm human and for me personally i have that's just my thing but it does come to that point where it does feel almost like it's like just written to get the reader off without thinking about if it actually makes sense. So, um, yeah. So I'm glad you were able to find one and start with one that wasn't like that.
4: Exactly, and that really kind of set the tone for everything that I read after it. Like, there's one that I want you to read it because, I mean, I shouldn't. T- I'm gonna have to like trick you now, make you read two because. <laughs> Because I don't want you to like go in expecting to hate one. But there's another book that I read, not by this author, not by Marley Valentine. I recommend all of her stuff. She's got a great sapphic romance coming out um, later this year. And show sapphic romance some love because most people only read Achillean stuff. And there are just as like, there are stories that are just as great and funny and heartfelt that feature. Other relationship dynamics, you know, most people just do it because they get off on the men, but you know, read these other ones too. Support these other authors. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, anyway, there's this book I read and there's a scene in it. So content warning here. I'm going to use the R word, the four letter R word. Uh, there's a scene in one of these books and I'm like, that was rape. That was not sexy or hot or kink. No, that was straight up rape. And then, but people are like, Ooh, the shower scene. And I'm like, uh, this is very bad, <laughs> you know? Like, um, but, and so that sometimes like you, yeah, I try to like, just kind of read what I like. And then if I don't like something, just stop reading that and move on. But, um, when you read some of the comments on this stuff, it does kind of make you a little feel a little uncomfortable or squeamish when you see what some people are getting out of these stories and just like, I'm not here to like tell people what to like and what not to like, but I'm like, I wish that we would promote more healthy things when it comes to marginalized communities, when it comes to queer relationships and things like that, because as a community who, I mean that, um, you know, most people think that, you know, sexual deviance is something that they have to combat all the time. That idea of like they're sexually deviant or whatever they're, too aggressive or violent or only sexually driven or whatever. Uh, And so I just kind of wish that sometimes the authors were a little bit more, um, I don't know, I guess a little bit more wise in what they're, what they're doing what they're putting out there and not doing it just for people to get off. But yeah, I mean, you can write something hot and sexy, but it doesn't have to be problematic.
1: Yes. There's a way to write, like for me, you know, I, I've talked about BDSM on here a lot. And for me, That, that is the big thing is like the way someone writes BDSM is a lot of people would write it the way of whatever that, that, that you're describing with the shower, where they would write it in a very non-consensual and have a lot of sexual assault stuff thrown in there when, but when you read it, when it's actually consensual. And there's consent there, even though there's still the, the dominant and the submissive side to it. It's not as, to me at least, it doesn't feel that way where you're like, you're harming an already marginalized community because you're doing, you're doing it with respect. And because it's true, people are in those kind of relationships. So. But um, yeah, and we haven't really talked about much of the book. We've been talking about other things. I know. Things. Okay, no, it's been a great. No, 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 no. I, I didn't mean that like that because it's been me too. It's been a great conversation though. <laughs> we'll have to talk about this. We'll have to do like an episode about um, literature and maybe uh-huh. we'll do that for Pride Month sometime or just some other time because yeah. it's be really interesting. But I do, going back to the book, I, I do want to ask you. So, and this is a question I have asked both I was going to maybe be like, maybe I'm I'm not going to ask that because we're having such a great conversation. But no, 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 no. I'm not going to let each off the hook here. So (laughs) I underline stuff in books, like lines, phrases, stuff that I like. I don't know if you do. And I know you've listened to this stuff on on a CD, so it may be a little bit different. But do you have a favorite line in this book?
4: Okay, I'm gonna just, this may not be my favorite, but I'm gonna do this one because it's the first one that jumped in my head when you said that. So, uh, there's one of the characters and he is the one who was just in, getting out this relationship, this five-year relationship with this woman and it was like a dead-end relationship anyway. Um, and he's been like staring at this other guy's like, lips and then like checking him out and he's like I don't know why I'm doing these things <laughs> well so that's kind of what's going on in the book but uh there's one particular scene where the other guy says something about him um being attracted to men now or like being into men now or whatever and he was like and he says I'm not attracted to men I'm attracted to youth <laughs> but it's just like okay that sounds terrible but the way that he says it in the uh in the audio version of the book Is wonderful. So
1: I'm going to go with that one. And that doesn't sound silly. That's that to me, (laughs) that sums up a lot there. You can tell a lot Mm -hmm. about the character. You can tell a lot about the relationship. And it's to the point right there. So, yeah. And then I'm going to do this, this one a little bit different with you because of what we were talking about earlier. Okay. Now, um, I now we're you're in an elevator, but you're in an elevator with the younger version of you and the one that doesn't doesn't feel connected to romance or to watching that or love stories. And the present version of you wants to let the younger version of you know just during this brief little 30 second elevator ride that there are romance stories out there for you. And this is the one to really start with and to not lose hope in that. So I know that's a lot,
4: but. (laughs) Yeah, it is a lot, but I also love that. Uh I would tell that young Ishelle uh that the the box is way bigger than they tell you it is and um you know a lot of people will say well you can think outside the box or color outside the lines but I don't think that queer relationships are outside the lines or outside of the box I think it's that the box is way bigger than we've been taught that it is and there is a corner over here for a way to do love and relationships and attraction that is going to make sense to you. And you will not have a straight path to it because it's not what's taught from pulpits. It's not what's pushed the most on TV. Um It's not even what's pushed the most in the songs that you listen to, but you're going to find a path to that corner over there that makes sense for you. That's what I would tell her.
1: I love – that's – that made me actually want to cry. That was really (laughs) – seriously, that was really beautiful. I really, really loved that. Now you got me over here about to cry. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm going to turn into that interviewer that's just going to – I'm going to try and make all my guests (laughs)
4: cry Uh. Yeah.
1: (laughs) No, but thank you. And I really – someday we will have to do one and we'll talk about this more in depth because I think there's a lot of interesting things there, especially when you get into the fetishization because I think that Mm -hmm. is something that happens a lot. So, yeah. So thank you so much, Ishel, and thank you for telling us and telling me about this book and I can't wait to hear about the other ones you want me to try. <laughs> you want me to read too. <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much. And so just tell everybody where they can find Liberty Diner Dish. But also, I know you have another podcast that really fits in with this that's coming. I do. Soon,
4: so, yeah. So you can find me and my lovely co host, Ken, on uh, Liberty Diner Dish, wherever you stream your podcasts. And we are on. Most social media as uh, at Liberty Diner Dish. You can also find Pink Plate Special, which is our kind of spinoff podcast. And that is also about TV and shows or will be again when... Uh, people get their act right not the actors and writers they are doing perfect <laughs> when the other folks get their act together uh and yeah you will eventually be able to find my new podcast let's talk about rex uh, which is all about uh queer romance books and we'll also do some like queer horror books and like non and nonfiction and things like that but um yeah books written by and about uh queer folks and stories and experiences so yeah be looking for that one soon awesome and
1: i still that the the name of your new podcast is <laughs> that's so good i seriously that's one of the best names i've heard of a new podcast I,
4: well i was so surprised it was still available so. i am too actually <laughs> yeah i yeah. am
1: too because that's that's a great great name so so <laughs> thank you again michelle
4: yeah, thank you, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. You know, I love books. So this one made me very happy.
1: Thank you again to Bex, Carla, and E. for speaking with me about three of your favorite books. I found those conversations so interesting and in such a wide array of books. So thank you so much. Uh, be sure to like the show on Facebook at slash it's a fandom thing pod, on Twitter at fandom No, it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod, on TikTok at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. Uh we are on Threads at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you have any feedback, show notes, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on the show, please feel free to reach out to us via our website, it's a com. Click the contact us button there, and that'll shoot me an email and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. And while you're there, consider becoming a Patreon supporter today for as little as three bucks a month. And at that three bucks a month level, we are offering a seven day free trial. So you have nothing to lose. You will get great bonus content. We just recently released one with a summer uh, Spotify playlist that we put together. And we do have a private playlist that goes along with it. Yes, I know summer is basically over, but it's never too late to get a good playlist. And then we have tons of other great bonus content over there as well. And plus, if you're hearing ads during this episode, You won't get ads if you become a Patreon supporter today. So click the support us button on our website. It's a phantomthingpod.com or click the link in the show notes. And the best way you can support us and all the indie podcasts represented today is by rating us five stars on iTunes and Spotify and share, 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 share. That is one of the best things you can do for us. Get the word out there. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Tell your pets, tell your iguanas, tell everybody out there to give us a listen. And thank you so much for listening. Next week, Carla from Bed, Behead is going to be back. And joining her is my beautiful, lovely podcast brain twin, Jen, from my streaming bubble. And we are going to be discussing some of our favorite authors. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black lives matter and stop Asian hate.